Well, it's good to see so many back this evening, and I've already had somebody mention to me that the longer I preach, the more melted the ice cream gets. Uh, so we may have soup. I don't know. Uh, but we've been looking at, uh, for the last several weeks on Sunday nights, we've been looking at Jesus' parables. And uh, we've been looking at uh, several of them. And, and, you know, some of them we found out when we kind of got into them were a little more difficult, really, to interpret than perhaps we had originally thought, or at least myself. Uh, there was a little more thought, a little more interpretation that went into to some of those. But last week, we began looking at a trilogy of parables that Jesus told at the end of his ministry. Uh, in Matthew chapter 25, we have, and we talked about last week, the parable of the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish. And then we have the parable of the talents. And then we have what I'm going to call a parable and we'll look at as a parable, the uh, lesson on the sheep and the goats where Jesus talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats, and we'll look at that. Now, those three, there's not a lot of explanation behind them. Those three are pretty easy to understand. Uh, Jesus is talking about judgment. Jesus is talking about end time things. And we looked at last week, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, which I told you was probably the first verse, at least the first verse I can remember memorizing as a child for it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment and we talked about that there is a time there is an appointment in which God will come and judge all the world and if we're not you know alive when that happens it'll be uh you know a a different kind of setting but judgment comes for everybody this week we're going to look at the parable of the talents And if I was to classify certain parables, in my mind, perhaps the most well-known parable, and this would be iffy, but perhaps the most well-known parable would be the parable of the Good Samaritan. Everybody seems to know the parable of the Good Samaritan, or at least part of it. I wonder how many hospitals there are across our nation called Good Samaritan Hospitals. We even have in this state and many other states, we have what are called Good Samaritan laws, which basically say that, you know, protect you from rendering aid to somebody. That if you render aid to somebody that, that they can't sue you for something that you might do wrong uh, in, in that situation. To encourage people to help others. So that may be the best, best well known. I, I think perhaps the most uh, touching parable would be that of the prodigal son. We love that story and we love that scene where the son's coming down the, the roadway and the father sees him from a long way off and runs out to greet him and talks about putting a ring on his finger and a robe on him and killing the fatted calf and, and, and all of that. And so that may be the most touching. But I think perhaps, for me at least, the most practical, maybe the most practical parable is this one that we're going to look at tonight, the parable of the talents. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 25, and we'll begin in verse 14. And this again, remember, is right on the heels of the parable we studied last week, the ten virgins. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey 
who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, notice the similarity between this and the parable before it. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settles accounts with them. The man who received the five talents brought five others. Master, he said, you entrusted me the five talents. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I gave, I gained two talents more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. If only the parable ended there. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received, received it back with interest. And I would add an at least in there. At least I would have gotten the interest back. Take the talent from him. And give to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have. Even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant. Outside. Into the darkness. Where there will be weeping. And gnashing of teeth. As we look at this parable tonight. I want us to consider three principles. That I see at work. In this parable and three principles that aptly and very readily apply to our lives as well. And the first one is the principle of giftedness. I think it's interesting and I don't know how the how this all came to be as far as, you know, word derivation and etymology and all those kinds of things. But I I just think it's it's ironic or prophetic or whatever word you want to use, that the, the money denomination used back in those days was called a talent. And what we have today, that word that we use today, has to do with our gifts our, and our abilities. And so it seems as if, even though it was talking about money when Jesus told the parable, the same word applies with us today. The parable begins by the master calling his servants together and entrusting his property and possessions to them. The first thing that we need to notice is that each of them was given something. Nobody was left out. Everybody was given something. And I believe that God has blessed 
all of us with gifts, talents, or abilities, or whatever else you want to call them. And I don't believe there is anybody in here who really believes to themselves, well, I ain't got no talent. I remember Norman talking about this. And I remember Norman saying, you would absolutely be offended if I told you you're talentless. You don't have a single talent. Or if you were to tell me, you know, I really just don't have any talents. And if I were to agree with you and say, you know, I've noticed that about you. You would be highly offended. And so false humility really doesn't work. You remember when Moses is at the burning bush. And he's trying every excuse in the book not to do what God wants him to do. God says, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to confront Pharaoh and I want you to lead the people out of Egypt. And Moses starts, oh, well, you know, who am I going to say sent me and how are they going to believe and all these different things. And he gets down and I love that one where he says, Lord, I am not, I have never been eloquent of speech either before or now. And I'm thinking, Moses, you just shot yourself in the foot. That was beautiful. That was such a, a wonderful phrase. That was, that was beautiful language and flowery. And you're trying to tell God what you should have said. Well, I don't, I can't, I don't speak too well. You know, too good. No, nah, too well would have, no, nah, too good. I don't speak too good. But that's not what he said. But he was trying to use a false humility. And God overcame him of that. Gideon, you remember when the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, oh, you mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, who are you talking about? Not me. Surely not me. Some false humility. Saul, when he was called to be king, quaked in his boots. He said, oh, I'm from the least of the tribe and my family is our, uh, my tribe is the least of the tribes and my family is the least of the tribe and, and I'm least of the family. You know, I'm the last person that you ought to be calling to be king. And we can kind of pretend and moan around and, and use it in his fuse. You know, I really don't have any talents. I really don't have any gifts. I really don't have any abilities. But I don't believe that. God has blessed all of us with something that we can do. God has blessed, I believe, now I could be wrong here, I believe that God has blessed all of us with something that we do well. Now, maybe that's not true. Maybe you don't do anything really well. But you do things. And you can do things. You know, I do some things. Y'all, y'all know, I, I do some electrical work around here. Scares you to death. I don't necessarily do it well. That scares you even more to death. But, you know, I can do it. I'm not the greatest, you know, back before, you know, I was doing this. And, you know, we, we needed song leaders or whatever, you know. I'm not the greatest song leader in the world, but I can do it. You know, so I'm willing to, to try that. God has blessed each and every one of us with certain gifts and with certain talents. Some can write, some can cook, some can teach, some can build or fix things. Some can make money. Some are encouragers, some are book smart. Some have abilities to rationally work out a problem. Some are peacemakers, some do crafts. You get the point. 
God has blessed all of us. And the second thing that I think we ought to notice is that, and it was already alluded to a little bit, is that we are each gifted differently. One man was given five talents. One man was given two. And one man was given one. And it said according to their abilities. Now I've, I'm a, I'm a math kind of person. I'm a little OCD kind of person. I like things in order. I like things to make sense. And ever since I was a little kid, this parable has bothered me a little bit. And the reason it bothers me is because, or did bother me, is because I never understood, I couldn't understand why did Jesus tell the parable and go from five talents to two talents to one talent. The reasonable, logical way to tell that parable would have been to one man he gave five talents, to another man he gave three talents, and to another man he gave one talent, right? That evens out. That makes good fractions. That makes everything, you know, the, 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 the space in between the numbers are the same. But Jesus didn't tell it that way. And I thought, well, maybe Jesus isn't good at math. Well, I don't think that's the problem. I think there was a now, I think there was a reason for it. Because you see, the two talent man is a lot closer to the one talent man than he is the five talent man. You see, if Jesus had said to one he gave five, to one he gave four, to one he gave one, well, then you could kind of see a little resentment on the one talent man. Why, they got five, he got four, I've got one stinking talent. Even if he had divided it up like I would have divided it up. Five, three, and one. He would have still, not a legitimate excuse, but as an excuse, well, you know, he got five, he got that. But you see, because Jesus told the parable the way he did, the two-talent man, who did exactly what he was supposed to do, was closer to the one-talent man than the five-talent man. Leaving out, I think, some kind of an excuse by the one-talent man. But we are all gifted differently according to their abilities. In Acts chapter 9, there's this wonderful story. Of course, we know Acts chapter 9 because that's the conversion of Saul. And that's what we focus on when we focus on Acts chapter 9. But after the conversion of Saul, there's this other story. Where there's this woman named Dorcas or Tabitha, depending on which translation you're using. And she's dying. And the people from her town, the people from her church congregation, they send to Peter and they say, Peter, please come and help this woman. Well, by the time he gets there, she's dead. And when he gets there, they have laid out all of the beautiful things that she used to make for the poor. She was an industrious woman. She made clothes and she made things for the poor. And she did all these things. She did all this that was good. And Peter, of course, eventually raises her from the dead. But I think about that. In that story, you have two prominent figures. You have Peter and you have Tabitha. 
Peter had a gift. Peter had a calling. Peter had a talent for preaching the gospel and for going out and teaching others. In Acts chapter 10, he's going to go out and reach to the Gentiles with Cornelius. In Acts chapter 2, he stands up on the day of Pentecost. But Tabitha also had a gift. She made clothes for the poor. She did good around town. She lived out Christianity before the people around her. Now, was Tabitha any less important than Peter? Not as a person. Is there a sense in which Peter's gift in the general scheme of the kingdom may have seemed a little more important? Yeah. But Peter wasn't more important than Tabitha. The five-talent man wasn't more important than the one-talent man. The two-talent man wasn't less important than the five-talent man. But we all have differing gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we know this very well. Paul uses the analogy of the body. And he says the body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we all were given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And here's where it talks about the differing gifts. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ears should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body. Every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. If we all had the exact same gift, we would be very, very limited in what we could accomplish. Some people in some ways think of diversity as being a negative thing. But diversity within the church, diversity within God's family is a positive It is a bonus because we are different. We have different gifts. And because we have different gifts, we can all work and do different things. That's why in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, Paul writes, From him, meaning Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Each part is important. I don't know about you, but I've been in situations before. I'll go to a car analogy. And you're going to think, me? Car? Because I don't know anything about cars. But I've been in situations before where my car would not run because of some small, little, seemingly insignificant part. It wasn't the transmission. It wasn't the battery. It wasn't the, that's the extent of my car knowledge, okay? 
I had gas, okay? Wasn't oil, those things I know about. It was some little something. But it was important to the overall running of the car. Wherever you are, whoever you are, God has given you your gifts. And he has given you your gifts according to your abilities to be used to his glory, which means me to the second principle. And that is the principle of usefulness. A gift or talent becomes a spiritual gift when we use it to God's glory. In the New Testament, there's at least three rich men mentioned. The first one is the rich fool. You remember him? He's the one who had the bumper crop and he said, I'm going to build bigger barns and and I'm going to, you know, sit back and eat, drink and be merry. And he was dead that night. His problem was he was a little too selfish. It was all you read that it's all about I and me and my and all those kinds of things. The second rich man, well, it may not, this may not be in chronological order, but another one of the rich man is the one in the parable, if it's a parable, of the rich man in Lazarus. And I don't know that he was so selfish as he was just inconsiderate. You know, Lazarus is out there every day, he sees him every day, he's begging and everything, and apparently he doesn't lift a hand to help Lazarus, even though he's got all the money in the world. The third rich man that we know about is the rich young ruler. Who comes to Jesus. And we remember that his problem was. Is that the too many material things. Including his money. Were in between him and God. And he couldn't give those up. There's nothing wrong. With being rich. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with the ability to make money. But if we're selfish. Or inconsiderate. Or we let that money come between us and God, then it becomes a problem. And you may be sitting here tonight thinking, he ain't talking to me because I certainly ain't rich. Well, the same principle applies to whatever our talents are. Whatever our gifts are. You may not be rich, but you've got talents. You've got abilities. And if you only use them for your purpose, If you're inconsiderate about using them for other people's purpose. If you allow those gifts and abilities to come between you and God. Then you're in the same situation as the three rich men that we read about. Everything we have comes from God. And everything we have is his. We should be looking for ways to use them to his glory. Now you've heard me enough. There may be one or two people in here who don't know. But one of my favorite movies of all times is Shenandoah. I love that movie with Jimmy Stewart, James Stewart. I love that movie, but there is a part of that movie that gives me the creeps. There is a part of that movie that repels me. And it's the part of the movie where they sit down for Sunday dinner. And he offers thanks. And he said, Lord, we cleared this field. Lord, we planted this crop. Lord, we harvested this crop. Lord, we did this. We did this. We did everything. And oh, by the way, thank you. And you get the idea what he's really saying is I'm not really sure why I'm thanking you. Because I did it all. 
Well, he didn't make it rain. I know that much. He didn't do a lot of things. Everything we have is from God and ought to be used to God's glory. Part of the responsibility, and this is one of the other things about this parable, he didn't tell them how to multiply their talents. He let them figure that out on their own. He let them use the initiative to figure out how to go from five to ten and two to four. You may be thinking, well, okay, I've got this gift. I've got this talent. But how in the world do I use it to God's glory? It's not preaching. It's not teaching little children. It's not whatever. And you may be thinking, how do I use this talent to God's glory? Well, you may have to be imaginative. You may have to think outside the box. Years ago with the teenagers, we were talking about this. and But I had them write their name on the top. And then I had everybody else in the room write what they thought that person's talent was. So by the time I got around the room, you had 10 or 15, however, we're in class, telling you what your talents were. Then I said, okay, now you got to pass it around again. And the person that put what your talent was has to think up a way that you can use that talent for God's glory. So, you know, it may have been the best athlete we had in the youth group at the time. You know, he's a, he's a stud football player. That's his talent. Yeah, now help him figure out how to use that talent to God's glory. Ooh, that's a a little more difficult. And so we may have to, to think. God wants us to think about how to use our talents. Just like Dorcas or Tabitha. She could have sat there and said, you know what? I'm good at making clothes, but I don't know how to use it to God's glory. So I'm just going to make clothes for me and my family. She thought outside the box. She thought of a way that she could use a talent that she had to God's glory. By making clothes for the poor. And by reaching out into her community. We can't be selfish. We can't be self-absorbed. And we can't be too focused on earthly things. Which brings us to the third principle. And that is the principle of accountability. Have you ever heard Such vicious, negative terminology come out of Jesus? You wicked and lazy servant. What does the King James say? You wicked and slothful. I love that word. Love that word. You wicked and slothful servant. Wow. You know, I could go along with slothful. I could go along with lazy. But there's a part of me that says wicked. Isn't that a little overboard? I mean, he brought you back his talent. It's not like he went out and spent it on riotous living like the the prodigal son. You know, he didn't buy drugs or alcohol or prostitute or anything like that. 
He didn't do anything, quote, wicked. And yet Jesus used in the master's word, you wicked and lazy servant. Do you think that says something about how God feels if we don't use what he's given us to his glory? A day of reckoning will come. God will hold us accountable for how we use our stuff, our talents, our times, our ability, our possessions. And in a slight twist, notice how the man tried to use an excuse, as an excuse, the master's personality. Lord or master, I knew you were a hard man. You sow where you don't reap or you reap where you don't sow. Yeah, I'm not a farmer either, okay? Uh, you reap where you don't sow and you harvest, you gather where you don't harvest and all those kinds of things. You know, you're a hard man. But the master said, yeah. And because of that, you should have known better. Now, I think there is a temptation for us to do the same thing with God, only the opposite. We know that God is loving, God is merciful, and God's grace is wonderful and majestic. Would we ever be tempted to use that as an excuse not to do what God wants us to do? God's forgiving, God's loving, God will shed his grace on me, therefore, you know, I'm not going to use my, you know, it's okay because God, God is, God is good. Be careful. Be careful about using God's own personality as an excuse not to do what he's called us to do. He's called us to use our gifts. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says that we, we have been, we are God's workmanship created for good works. James chapter 2 talks about how that we ought to have works. Now, we understand and we know We are not saved by our works. We are saved by God's grace. But we are saved for a purpose. And if we squander that purpose. He said to the man, you wicked and slothful servant. The very thing you knew about me, he said, should have motivated you to use your talent. The same is true with us. Because of God's goodness, because of his forgiveness, because of the grace that he has given us, we ought to be using everything we have to his glory and his honor. Nothing, we sing that phrase in uh, uh, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hand I bring. That's true to some extent. But then we sing another song, Must I Go and Empty Handed. We don't sing that much, but it's an older song. Wait a second. Those two don't mix. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Must I go and empty handed to meet my Savior? Well, there's truth in both of those things. Our salvation is not earned We can't bring anything to God to pay for it. 
But as saved people, we ought to have things and works that we have done to show our gratitude and our glory to God. Notice the last description the master used. He said, you wicked and slothful servant. You know, you should have known. And then he says to the the other servants, take this worthless man and throw him into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The last thing I want God to call me is worthless. Worthless, he said. So the challenge to us and the points, the principles, the lessons we learn from this story, from this parable, is that you are important to God and he has blessed you with gifts and talents. I don't know all of you and what your talents are, but I guarantee you, you have some. And we need to be using them to God's glory and honor. If you're here this evening, we can help you anyway. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.